0: This is Coach Lee, and you're listening to The Door Report.
1: On today's episode of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, we're joined by Chris Williams, former Vanderbilt offensive lineman from 2005 to 2007. He was drafted in the first round by the Chicago Bears, ended up playing alongside Jay Cutler at Vanderbilt, and also Jay Cutler in Chicago, played alongside Clark Lee, Norval McKenzie, and Javon Hay as well. So it was great to be able to talk to Chris Williams but also, we have a full season preview. 30 minutes on the offense, 30 minutes on the defense. You're in for a treat. Stay tuned, because we've got all that and much more coming right up here on The Door Report, powered by Alaco Wood Floors. Let's ride.
2: You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation. Anchor down.
1: Welcome back into the door report. It is episode 102 on August 29th. It is a Sunday. Reporting live, I'm Billy Derrick from Naples, Florida, alongside Will Byram from Nashville, Tennessee. We are powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. Will. We are six days away from the season starting. Um, I, I can't believe it. It's, it's uh, really kind of snuck up on us, but we're here, and it's time to do a full season preview. You ready?
3: Oh, I'm ready, Billy. I got to watch some Illinois and Nebraska. I got to see some fans oh, yeah. in the stands this Saturday and got to see a safety be the first two points of this college <laughs> football season, which just felt right. Yeah. So, man, Billy, I'm fired <laughs> up.
1: That felt great. Poor Nebraska. We uh, <laughs> feel for them. Illinois is is uh, is apparently legit, no, but uh, again, week one overhyped. Uh, overhyped. Nebraska.
3: Nebraska's the Tennessee of the Big Ten.
1: Oh Just, yeah. Yeah, I, love, I can't wait to to overreact on week one. That's the best part about <laughs> college football. Uh, yeah. Well, we don't have any breaking news, but we do have a full season preview. Uh, we will go through the offense here in this segment and then the defense and then we will analyze the schedule we'll give our not quite predictions but you know not to wait not quite score predictions but we will again give our uh early predictions here Uh, and then chris williams joins the podcast a little bit later he was an amazing guest obviously playing uh in, in the black and gold from 05 to 07 with jay cutler clark lee norval mckenzie uh javon hay all those guys so it was great to talk to chris Well, before we get to the season preview, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door.report. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, go give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. It's now time for the season preview.
2: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Today's breaking news is brought to you by the Recycling Dudes. You may ask, who are the Recycling Dudes? Well their brothers Graydon and Chapman and their dad. Drew Smith, who is a Metro Nashville firefighter, living in West Mead. The Recycling Dudes recognize the need for a service that would take glass to the recycling for busy homeowners who care about our environment. They pick up your glass, separate it, and take it to be recycled. They offer monthly service as well as one-time party pickup, starting as low as $10 per month. All you have to do is sign up on their website at
1: recyclingdudes.com. All right, Well. It's time to get into it. Let's start with the offense. And uh, Ken Seals is the guy. And uh, that's, there's no disputing that. Obviously, you got a guy like Mike Wright uh, right behind him. But what Ken Seals did last season showed everyone enough and, and you know, showed, of course, Coach Lee enough. Uh, to he has not named him the starter yet, but again, we he, he is the guy. 1928 yards last season, 12 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Will I expect a jump in touchdown passes from 12 to potentially anywhere around 17, 18, 19, maybe even into the 20s? I just think the way he fits into this offense and what he is now able to do he's able to do so much more he's he, he's in talking with him. we saw him uh, at uh, one of the baseball games this season he said hey it's it's a lot tougher this season with coach rye but you know it's looking up so will if he doubles that touchdown number that's going to be a huge jump uh, hopefully he gets better protection from some of these new o-linemen coming in obviously um, cole clemens jonathan stewart and, and some of those other guys but that's going to be the key for this offense we'll talk about the o-line in a second but will Also for Ken Seals, he did throw 10 interceptions last season, so that has to go down, and his touchdown uh, mark has to go up, and if he can cut that down, that interception rate to about five or six, that's going to be massive as well, so again, for Ken, he's the guy, he's QB1, but you also have Mike right back there, and it's going to be interesting to see how they split reps between those guys.
3: Yeah, Ken Seals is the starter. He has been the starter from day one. Um, you just there's no strategic advantage to Coach Lee coming out and saying, we have these two different, completely different styles of quarterbacks. I'm going to go ahead and tell you which style to prepare for. So that's, completely, that, that's why he's doing this. Mike Wright is going to be utilized in some of those packages like we saw last year. It's obviously a different staff, so it's going to look a little bit different. But I'll expect it. Mike Wright is going to see the field. It's yeah. not going to be a two QB system necessarily, not rotating quarterbacks, but he will have packages. He's too talented of a guy yeah. with too much speed and too much ability to not see the field. The interesting battle, which I haven't heard discussed or read anything about, is the true quarterback two. And this hasn't been talked about near enough. And when I say that, Mike Wright is the second most talented guy on that roster mm. and was competing to be the starter as the second one, Musa sitting there at three. Yeah. But Mike Wright's style is so different than what Ken Seals does. That is he legitimately the QB two if Ken Seals was to go down with an injury during during a game, are they going to put in Musa? and say he's going to run the same system as seals or are they going to put in mike wright and because he's focused likely on those kind of alternative packages throughout the year are we going to run a completely different offense with him so those are two things to watch and and i'm not really sure billy if we've heard who is the legitimate QB too?
1: No, no, and I think I, I agree with you, Will, on that. Um, I, I do think with Coach Ryan and Joey Lynch, this offense they're so complex, and they're they are probably able to shift enough to where Mike can go in there and 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 you know work work things to his advantage. Now, I, I'm with you, Will. Mike Wright will not have as much success in this offense as Ken Seals. I mean, that's a fact. Like Mike Wright, I'm not going to say he's not designed for this offense, but they're going to be throwing the ball a lot. And and because they have the talent around Ken Seals to do that, um, so I'm with you, Will. I, I think you know who I'm not going to say we're going to see Jeremy Musa if if uh, if Ken Seals goes down, um, but it will be interesting to see if if Mike is just thrown in there and say, hey, go out there and do all the things Ken does because you know that can't that he can't do that. So, uh, but it is going to be interesting. Of course, Ken Seals will I think could be could rise up to be one of the more underrated quarterbacks uh, I mean he he already was last year at the end of last season um and in the SEC I, I mean and
3: Billy keep in mind with those stats he threw for 1928 yards 12 touchdowns 10 interceptions in 9 SEC games yeah every year I mean I guarantee you one thing Ken Seals is going to go out week 1 and you're going to be like oh my god this guy looks phenomenal and he is going to go out and be like oh my god that was a phenomenal game. It was so much, moving so much slower on top of the progress he's going to make. And you always see a decent jump in college football from a guy that started his true freshman year, gets that experience under his belt, going into year two, the game kind of slows down. Because regardless of level, the game is a lot faster at the college level oh, than yeah. it is at the high school level, especially in the SEC. So he's going to have seen a full year almost of experience against SEC competition more than a normal season of games, and then he's going to go into week one. He's going to be playing an FCS opponent. Yeah. Uh, so that, that, Vanderbilt beat, yeah, that Vanderbilt already beat. Yeah, the Vanderbilt already beat thirty-eight nothing in 2019 with that team. So Ken Seals is going to come out, and I expect that offense to click. I think they'll be slow early just like every single start of the season for almost every team in the entire country. But I think Ken Seals is going to get into a rhythm and I really do like starting with that FCS opponent with so many new faces kind of trying to mesh together on this, on this team and on this staff.
1: Oh yeah. I agree with you, Will. I think it's with Ken, he's comfortable. (laughs) He's comfortable now. Now without that year last season, I wouldn't say the same thing. Now Mm. that you're playing nine SEC games and you're getting, you're getting quality experience. So, Ken Seals, QB1, Mike Wright, uh, QB2, question mark, I guess. Uh, We'll have to see uh, what they do there. But, Will, that's the quarterbacks. Um, Without further ado, let's move on to the running backs. We got Ray Davis, a guy, the transfer from Temple. And through two years at Temple, he had 349 carries, 1,582 yards, and 10 touchdowns. So the production is there for Ray Davis. Now the quality of opponent is not. Now that that's something to look at with, with Ray Davis. Now he he's he's not the, I mean he's big, but he's not you know he's he's five nine, you know two hundred you know two two hundred twenty. He's a big he's a bigger, stalkier running back, but he has an extra level. He has an extra extra level that Coach Lee likes. And I'm not gonna say come out and say he's the next Keyshawn Vaughn, but he's a he's a guy that's gonna be solid, and he will he will get you that that three four yard gain when you need it. And he's going to be a good blocker, too, Will. He, he's a physical guy.
3: Yeah, you have running back is one of those positions. And regardless, because of lack of a better term for it, to be a successful running back, especially if you're the featured back in a place like Vanderbilt, you've got to be a dog. And yeah. Raymond Davis, in my humble opinion, is a dog. <laughs> so this guy at, at Temple his freshman year in 2019 ran for almost 1,000 yards, eight touchdowns, and 193 carries. Caught 15 passes for 181 yards and two touchdowns. Was given all S- or all uh, SEC pro football focuses first team freshman All America team. Uh, he was on that <laughs> team in 2019. Man, I struggled through that. But in 2012, due to a combination of injuries and new guys coming in, his role kind of reduced. Um, as well as in that kind of odd COVID season. And then he decided to transfer to be closer to his family. Academics were important to him, landed at Vanderbilt. And Mm -hmm. this guy, I'm expecting huge things out of him because Vanderbilt does not return a running back that has run for more than 100 yards last season. So that stat. About 600
1: yards of production is gone.
3: Yes. And this group is the thin – usually we say we cannot have any injuries on the offensive line, and that's still true this year. But this season, running back is the thinnest position on this roster because of transfers. They really only have three guys, maybe four if you push it out on the entire roster. Mm -hmm. So, Ramon Davis going down with an injury would be the biggest detriment to this entire team. Maybe even more than Ken Seals. And I don't want to say that just because the depth and they would have to have guys move positions. Right. I mean, yeah. at that point.
1: Yeah, that would be, that'd be a huge blow. Uh, And, and will I, also behind him, you got Rocco Griffin mm-hmm. who showed some flashes last season, Rocco, 37 carries 92 yards. Um, you know, that's nothing to write home about, but he showed what he could do and what he, he has potential for. Um, you know, I, I talked about blocking Will. That's going to be an underrated part of this offense. How well can the running backs block? Because especially for Ken Seals and this Vanderbilt offense it's always been this way. You're going to have to have a running back that can block and, and, if, and, and pass protect. Because if you can't, your quarterback's kind of screwed. So he's going to have to block at a high level as well as catch and run out of the backfield. Mm-hmm. And I think he can. You know, I've seen, you know watching him at Temple, that's kind of his bread and butter. And that, you, you know, you could argue that was Keyshawn Vaughn's as well. So I think a lot of people want to make that co- comparison, but slow your roll. He's a <laughs> solid running back and he's not Keyshawn Vaughn, but he's a guy that will carry the load and will be consistent all year. And it's going to get tough for him though, Will. That, that grind, it's a grind as an SEC running back. So, for for him, he's going to need Rocco to to spell him a lot.
3: Yeah, and Patrick Smith is going to have yeah. to to work into that rotation as a freshman, and he's just going to be forced into action. And, he's going possibly to, yeah. possibly we might even see Mitchell Pryor depending on the situation. I mean, you're just going Mitchell. to see some faces back there just due to lack of depth that are kind of thrust into a rotation yeah. they normally wouldn't have expected to be in. But yeah, Ramon Davis at Temple is outstanding. It's a little different in the SEC. I, watching his watching his highlights, he kind of looks like a combination of and I, I hate saying this, I'm not saying at that level, okay, yeah. so I want to keep saying that, of Keyshawn Vaughn and Ralph Webb, how they, how they kind of run, um, obviously nobody is Keyshawn Vaughn. He was, and, and I love Ralph Webb, love Zach Stacy Keyshawn Vaughn was not even close to the most talented running back Vanderbilt oh, it's has ever fire. had, and, it's, and that's no slight against Zach Stacey or Warren Norman or the other greats that were at this program, but Vaughn was on another level, yeah. especially before that ankle injury that kind of slowed yeah. him down, so... Um, but I'm expecting a lot out of Ramon Davis, and he's kind of the key. He, he's going to be the the gasoline that gets this offense going, and he's going to have to be on every game, and and that's a lot of pressure on him. But I think he's ready for it.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, for Ramon Davis, I don't know what I don't know if we're if we're overhyping what he can do this season, but I think he could surprise a lot of people. And I just I
3: just don't I haven't heard a lot of talk about him. I no. think if he would he if this exact situation of running back was transferring into Tennessee. I think you would be hearing a lot more excitement and a lot more hype surrounding him because he was legitimately one of the best freshman running backs in the entire country at temple and and was getting national media attention. And now he transfers to Vanderbilt after a 2020 season that I don't even want to think about. (laughs) I mean, I don't think any teams really consider that a real season transfers to Vanderbilt and, and he's ready. So yeah, I think he's he's really under the radar and he's going to surprise some people week one against CTSU.
1: I think he's got a chip on his shoulder too. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing Ray Davis out there uh, and uh, especially Rocco Griffin too. Rocco's going to yep. have to step up uh, in that second running back role. All right, well, let's go over to receivers. Uh, and this is a really, really fun group uh, mm-hmm. to look at. and And you got three guys that lead the charge. Cam Johnson, Chris Pierce, and Amir Abdur-Rahman, who, I mean, those guys are vets. They're grizzled vets. They, they've been at Vanderbilt. They, they have been in the SEC, and they know what it takes um, to, to produce offensively. Cam Johnson, 56 catches last season, 545 yards, three touchdowns. Chris Pierce, 25 catches, 371, five touchdowns. Amir Abdurman, not as much production, but he he did. I mean, they're all pretty even, you could argue. 27 catches, 406 yards, one touchdown. Well, I immediately look at <clears throat> Cam Johnson and and he's uh, he's the best receiver on this team by you know, I'm not gonna say by far, but he he is the most skilled receiver. Chris Pierce, not far behind though. I mean, what he did last season was unreal and I don't think I think he's got a chance to really step up into into the upper echelon of Vanderbilt receivers um, you know if he's able to perform the season but I look at the catch marks of Amir and Chris 25 catches for Chris 27 for Amir that has to that has to elevate that has to uh, add up because you can't be stuck at 25 catches in a, in, a, in in throughout an SEC season you just can't um, so I think we'll those three guys, if if they can if they can rise up and actually make the tough grabs, help Ken Seals out as much as they can, that'll ease a little bit off Ramon Davis because now there's not going to be as much pressure on him.
3: Yeah, this this receiving receiver group, Billy, is probably the most talented group they've had since Matthews, Boyd, and Krause. Yeah. Um, and actually, on twenty four seven Sports with Robbie Weinstein's depth part depth chart prediction, he actually has Will Shepard ahead of Amir Abdurrahman on that depth chart. So, um, so that'll be interesting to keep an eye on, but they have a four headed monster there. Um, Will Shepard is the younger guy, former basketball player, a lot of potential, a lot of upside was skinny last season. Um, has put on weight this offseason and really looks like an STC receiver. Cam Johnson, former ESPN 300 recruit came into this class alongside Gavin Schoenwald mm-hmm. and Darius Garland from Brentwood Academy locally here. And then you've got Chris Pierce who really was emerging, um, is probably Ken Seals one of his top targets at the end of the year and seemed yep. to have a real connection, kind of sparking off with that play he made in the loss against Florida. So this group Monster. and the experience that they have paired with an inexperienced, well, not even an experienced, an experienced young quarterback at this point, Ken Seals in a new offensive system, this is the rock of the offense. The, this receiver group, game in, game out, will be there. They are two talented to experience and they are going to be what sec opponents and non-conference opponents have to prepare for specifically is the playmaking ability of this receiving core so ken seals has a lot of talent and i'm really excited to see these guys mesh if the offensive line can give ken seals time to get them the ball
1: yeah man they they're ready to explode it feels like i mean mm-hmm. this receiver group is is and keep in mind all
3: those stats you were quoting off were from a nine game sec only slate yeah. So, remember, they didn't have any of the stat-padding games like UConn right. or ETSU, where they, they likely would have, would have had some. Yeah, they <laughs> add on about about 50% more to each of their yeah. stat lines, and that's what those three other games would have been.
1: And you know what they're going to get right out of the gate? A stat-padding gate. Oh, It's going to be a lot of garbage <laughs> time against ETSU. But, well, going a little bit deeper, with Cam Johnson, I don't think he's played up to his potential at all at Vanderbilt. Now, he, last year he played a lot better. Um, but I think with him, he, he was a, like you said, he three being a recruit coming in. He didn't really have that consistency at quarterback. You know, he, he played with Kyle Schirmer a little bit. But with Cam Johnson, I expect a monster season. I, I just do with this offense. I have a feeling coach Rye is going to find a lot of different ways to use him. And, and I'm, I can't wait to see what he does this season. Cam's going to be kind of a safety valve. I think he, you know, when they need a positive gain, when they need some momentum going, Hey, let's throw it out to cam, get a few blockers in front of him and get, get some yards. And, and I think same thing with Chris, but on the deep ball, you know, Hey, let's give Chris a shot. Let's give Chris a shot or in the red zone.
3: Yeah, really this receiving core, and you saw Amir Abdurrahman rahman in, in Kyle Schirmer's last season there make an amazing catch against Tennessee yeah. in, in, in that win, but these guys have really statistically this season is going to be a coming out party for them, I think, um, because they haven't had a quarterback that could get them the ball consistently um, since they have gotten ahead of the, the older guys that were there when they got there that were truly right. the target one, two, and three, and these guys were just getting kind of mm-hmm. rotated in and out. This year, they have an established quarterback throughout the offseason, an established system. They're all healthy. And I think Cam Johnson specifically is going to put up numbers this year that are going to be pretty eye-popping. And I think Chris Pierce, Rahman, and Shepard one or two of those guys are also going to be putting up numbers that are going to have people around the country and around the sec looking and saying what's going on down there on West end. So I'm excited for this group, specifically cam Johnson. I want him to succeed very badly because I think he is very, very, very talented, Mm -hmm. just like all Mm -hmm. these guys are. So it all comes back to that offensive line, Billy, and we're going to get there eventually, (laughs) but man, you can only say so much. Everything else looks like it's kind of coming together to be an offense that can really break through the expectations yeah. and, and that a lot of Commodore fans and other SEC fans yeah. have. And I think a lot of people aren't thinking about Vanderbilt's offense as an offense that can be really, really middle of the pack to upper middle of the pack right. in the conference. Now the defense, when we get to that preview, that may be a different story, right. but the talent is there on this offense. And that's undeniable. If you look through that depth chart yeah,
1: and will how about the, I mean for Cam and Chris Pearson in particular? This is a huge season for them in mm-hmm. their draft prep. If if they play up to you know what how they however they want to play, they're gonna able they're gonna be able to, to get a better read. That's why Chris came back. That's why Chris came back for a fifth year. This is Cam's senior year. So uh, and Will Shepard, Will that's gonna be uh, mm-hmm. it's gonna be really fun to see what he can do. But also keep an eye on Quincy Skinner Jr. Yeah. The freshman. He was on a uh, freshman watch list. I forget what site it was. Uh, but Quincy Skinner has some talent. Not sure how much he'll play this season, uh, but but definitely another guy to watch. Especially. Devin Body
3: Jr. as well yes. could sneak into that rotation as a kind of speed playmaker guy.
1: Yeah, he definitely could too. And, and I mean, Logan Kyle, the <laughs> guy who stepped up in one of the scrimmages as well. Like They yep. have depth there. They they have it and uh, they have depth to work with. Well, uh, let's just throw Bib Bresnahan in with the tight ends. I, I mean, Uh, and with in with the receivers he's really the only tight end that will um, that will be catching the ball this season Uh, you could argue Justin Ball or Gavin Schoenwald but um, I think those two guys are going to be more of a blocking um, blocking guys for them I really like Bresnahan of course Uh, I know you do too 28 Mm -hmm. catches 300 yards four touchdowns last season of course that number should have been higher without the garbage time games but well the stats aren't eye-popping, but he's proven he can make tough catches, especially in the middle of the field where most guys will shy away from contact. Bresnahan wants it. He he, he searches out contact and he, he's not scared of diving in the middle of the field, making a big-time grab. He showed that he can do that. He's physical. He runs crisp routes. Um, and, Will, like a lot of these skill position players, I'm really excited to see how he can elevate his game under David Rye because, I think a lot of these guys might have been handcuffed under Andy Ludwig. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying they weren't um, utilized enough, but they may not have been utilized in the right ways. Now, Ben Bresnahan under Coach Rye, Joey Lynch passing game coordinator, uh, should be a lot of fun to watch. He, he's reliable. I mean, that, that's that's what he brings.
3: Yeah, he's not a flashy guy. He's not listed on any of the top five sec tight yep. ends but there is a little bit of buzz and there was a, a tweet from at sec underscore stat cat, yeah. um, saying and i'll just redirect directly from there i'll remain being the only person who sticks up for ben bresnahan among mm-hmm. returning sec patch catchers pass catchers top three success um in catch rate t plus td rate on dropback targets top catch rate and yards per target on intermediate attempts top success rate on catch first down plus touchdown rate on contested chances top three red zone touchdown rate. So what those are those deeper <laughs> Those are deeper analytical stats, basically just saying of opportunities that he was presented with to make plays. He was a top three guy in the conference. That's right. basically all that <laughs> says. I, mean. I looked up the stats. They're not normal. They're deep analytical stats. But basically what this is saying is Ben Bresnahan is damn consistent. He's not flashy, but he's consistent. You throw in the ball, he's gonna make a play very consistently, and you've got solid guys in there like Justin Ball, Gavin Schoenwald Yeah, coming in there is more blocking tight ends. So with this new spread out system, I don't think you're gonna see flashy stats from them, but they could be key in utilization in the red zone especially if Mike Wright is utilized in red zone packages.
1: Yeah, Mike. Mike's going to need uh, a guy like Bresnahan, of course, to, as a safety valve. I <laughs> talked about Cam being a safety valve, but Bresnahan mm-hmm. also could be as well. So uh, Ben Bresnahan starting tight end. He is TE1. You also got Justin Ball, Gavin Schoenwald back there as well. All right, well, it's time. The offensive line, here we go. Eight guys are fighting for the final five spots, apparently, uh, according to a quote from Coach Blazik. Uh, I was told, though, that Michael Warden will, will start at center and Bradley Ashmore is going to be the starting right tackle. Now, so that narrows it down to six guys fight, fighting for the final three spots, uh, if, if you will. So, uh, Will, this is a really interesting group because you got three guys coming back, Cole Clemens, Bryce Bailey, Jonathan Stewart, who opted out early, or, I mean, before last season even started. But now they've talked to Coach Lee. They said they want it. They're in. And, and I think that says something. I think that was kind of a, a tone setter. Right from the beginning, where Coach Lee is able to bring those guys back and say, "Hey, you're gonna you're gonna help us. You know, we need you guys." So, Will, with three spots left, I think you got a few guys that that are. I mean, obviously a few guys that are going to fill it. Cole Clemens, Tyler Steen, Dan Dawkins, and Jonathan Stewart. I think are the top four that you could see being rotated in those spots. I have no idea who who who's going to finish out this O line. You got Michael Warden, Bradley Ashmore right now, but Will by far the most important position group. And it usually is for Vandy. Like if they don't have a good offensive line, you know, this is for any football team, but especially at Vanderbilt, they're not going to, they literally won't be able to do anything. Um, especially now, Ken Seals, it, he's a decent runner, but we don't run, want him running around all over the field.
3: Yeah, Seals is serviceably mobile. He can escape the pocket a lot better than Kyle Schirmer could, turn. who was a statue in the pocket. So he's seeing Ken Seals back feet. there, he can get away from pressure and, and make something out of nothing a little more yeah. than Shermer as good as he'll, he was. He'll lay here. a hit,
1: too. He's, he's physical. <laughs> he'll, he'll lay you out if he wants. But, um, yeah, but like you well, said,
3: Billy, you said that we got the three spots, and I think it's really two spots because I think Cole Clemens will be starting. Um, I I would assume so yeah Yeah.
1: I I think three spots you know I'm just going off what Blazik said Um, but yeah I would say Ward Nashmore and Clemens right now all starting right now Mm -hmm. Um, yeah but there are some younger guys though that have that have turned some heads Dan Dawkins is a guy that came in with uh, with Alan Walters. I don't know if you remember Yeah, that's him. a name yeah. that
3: we haven't heard in a little bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, he didn't, uh, didn't work out for him at Vandy, but his uh, high school teammate was Dan Dawkins, and he came over with him from, I think, New Jersey, uh, somewhere up in New mm-hmm. Jersey. But Dawkins is a guy that I expected to play a lot early, and he did, but he, he really struggled with the pace of play and, and kind of the physicality of it. So I think Dan Dawkins, you could argue, could squeeze in there as well and then Tyler Steen, am I wrong? I think it could be Michael Warden at center, Bradley Ashmore, right tackle, and then you know who knows who the other Cole is. Yeah, Cole, Cole,
3: Cole Clemens at right guard, and then left tackle Tyler Steen, Bradley Ashmore at that right tackle, and I think a guy you haven't mentioned, it's going to be between Ben Cox, Jonathan Stewart, and Bryce Bailey at that left guard, and I think Dawkins, because of his experience, he actually came out of high school as a center. Right. I think Dan Dawkins will be – the inside utility offensive lineman, and I think on the outside, the rotational utility offensive guy at the left and right tackle mm-hmm. is going to be Uzeba or Uziba, the transfer from Uzebio. West Virginia. Yeah, yeah, a terrible, terrible name pronunciation Sorry. for my part. I've I've never said I know how to pronounce the names, but I can see picture him in my mind. So <laughs> Gender, I, if you're I listening, it's yeah. not
1: on purpose.
3: <laughs> <then>. <laughs> but I think he'll be a key rotational guy at that left and right tackle if there are any injuries. They they only have eight guys um, with that offensive line, which seems a little bit thin but all eight guys are are pretty talented. I think yeah. all have potential to be starting caliber offensive linemen. So mm-hmm. while they are thin and they can't have injuries, if one guy goes down or two guys goes down, I don't think that is as detrimental. Like there's not as big of a drop-off. Yeah. But if you have multiple injuries, man, then you're, looking at, then you're looking at a tough situation, which is yeah. pretty much every year. But this year, uniquely for Vanderbilt, I think they have more – starting caliber offensive linemen on this roster than they typically do have. Yeah. Now, are those guys SEC level starting caliber offensive linemen or are they more mid-major level, uh, you know, AAC level starting <laughs> offensive ETSC linemen? Level. That yeah, that's what we've got to see. But um that there is some talent there and there is potential. And this this group did perform better than we expected last season. Oh, yeah. um, very very undermanned. So with Birchmeyer's departure um transferring out likely to go back to that defensive side of the ball wherever he ends up um this this team leaves a lot of question marks on the offensive line but i think they probably have a ceiling of they could be like a b plus Mm -hmm. and they also could be an f minus so (laughs) i i think early on we're not going to learn a lot against etsu but against colorado state and stanford even um not even sec opponents yet i think we will know a ton about that offensive line going into georgia week four
1: well i think we need to give some love to michael warden though I mean, this guy, he's 6'2", 286, not your typical size for a center. He's native of Ohio. He's a senior. He hasn't played at all. He didn't see action as a freshman, no action as a sophomore, no action as a junior. He was on the SEC academic honor roll uh, last year, but he hasn't done anything on the field. So – But I've heard great things. (laughs) You know, I've I've heard big things from Michael Warren, a guy that'll get dirty. He's not he's not afraid to uh, to to chop it up a little bit. And and you know, a guy from uh, from Ohio, obviously a lot of really good football. But will if this guy this guy could be the X factor of not only the O line but the offense? Well, the O
3: line X factor just because if I see a bunch of snaps start going too low or too high, I think I'm going to lose my ever loving mind. And that seems to be, it seems to be an emphasis of coach Lee who multiple times has said that snap location is going to be the determinant of the starting center because you can't start the play without getting the snap where it needs to be. And obviously warden has stepped up, even though it's been reported, he hasn't been perfect. He he seems to be the guy that stepped up and made the least mistakes. Um, And those mistakes cannot happen this year. I,
1: I can already see coach Lee after practice, Michael, go get 400 snaps right now to Ken and work for two hours because we are not having that problem. I mean, that, that's, you have, as a center, it's not, I'm, I, I'm not going to say it's not hard because it's a really tough position, but I was talking to Bruno Reagan um, and, and he's, he's a guy that played obviously really well as center, but, It's it's hard. It's a hard position. I mean, you have so many things to think about before that ball's even snapped. You got to call out the call out the reads on defense. You got to actually snap the ball and then you have to block. (laughs) massive yeah and you have to
3: snap your head up afterwards bruno reagan was the guy that moved from guard to center and he did struggle with snap location because it's a hard it's a hard thing to do you're looking back you're the quarterback of that offensive line calling out guys that are possible blitzers picking up protections and then your head is down looking especially if you're in the shotgun trying to snap the ball to the quarterback because he's giving out signals as well and then you have to snap the ball snap your head up and then you're blocking a 320 pound monster on the other side of you trying (laughs) to open up a hole or protect your quarterback so it's a tough position and michael warden hopefully this year dan dawkins is a guy that i thought was going to step into that role but it just hasn't materialized for him um, because that is what he came in he was the number one ranked center on all of rivals.com yeah and it just hasn't worked out for him at vanderbilt for whatever reason and he shifted over to that guard position early and he's never really seemed to shift back to center so I'm looking forward to that. Not really looking forward to watching the QB Center Exchange, but I'm going to be locked into (laughs) that week one. I'm going to have a count in. of a count of accurate snaps versus inaccurate, inaccurate snaps.
1: Ken, uh, I would think Ken is also saying, hey Mike, <laughs> let's uh let's just get some work in. So this, this is not a problem, um, but Will, it's going to be fun to see how this offensive line shakes out and how well they're able to play uh, mm-hmm. because, you know, you, you got some young guys in there that could play and might, might have to play. Uh, so uh, obviously coach Blazik has a busy, uh, busy time with that. Well, that's it for the offense. We've got, we got the quarterbacks covered, got the running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, O line. Now we got to move on to the defense. But we're going to take a break. Coming up, we've got the defense analysis here on the Door Report. All right, it's now time to talk about the defense. It's time for the defensive analysis this season. Will the Commodores are going to be utilizing a four-two-five scheme, and that is good news for a lot of people. And it's kind of something that. Uh, of course, Derek Mason ran, uh, the the three, four, um, you know, of course with, he was a, he was a defensive coach that valued his, um, valued the speed that he had. But again, you didn't necessarily have those dudes, uh, to work, uh, to your advantage. So again, Mason is a smart defensive coach, but when it came to working with the talent and the players at Vanderbilt's disposal, uh, he didn't necessarily, uh, he was not able to do that, but will, um. This year there's a whole new scheme and a lot of stuff being thrown at these guys from coach Minner. And I can't wait to see how, how he's able to how he's able to just work within it, within what he's able to do. And coach Lee is, is as smart as anyone, but will they, they will struggle this season. I mean, that's, that's yeah. the bottom line because of the depth and last season, I'm a guy that likes to look at, okay, what's, what have you done for me lately? This defense, of course, struggled last season. So, well, I guess, where's the positive you can look at in this defense before we kind of start analyzing?
3: Yeah, our, our offensive preview is pretty optimistic. Usually uh, we try yeah. to be pretty in the middle. We don't want to be the, the ones that are saying everything, the world, the, the sky is falling. But we also don't want to be the people that are just blowing smoke and saying everything's roses and daisies. Yeah. But the defense is going to be a little bit more negative of a preview. It's a group that struggled last season. Um, They lost Donovan Kaufman to the transfer portal following Derek Mason to Auburn, their most talented defensive player. Um, They also have no Dimitri Moore either um, who opted out last season, played a few games, but then transferred as well. So this group has has, has a talent disparity between the opponents they're going to be playing, except that defensive line. The defensive line is a legitimate SEC defensive line, and that is the anchor of this defense. Everything else, I'm not so sure about, but I know that defensive line should perform to at least middle of the pack of the SEC level.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, Will, let's let's dive right into it. The D line. It's time to look at the defensive line. Well, for me, I separate this this group into two tiers. You got Davion Davis and Elijah McAllister up there with Malik mm-hmm. Langham and Alex Williams. And then you've kind of got everybody else who's going to be fighting uh, for playing time. A couple of freshmen, Marcus Bradley and Tank Sujik should receive playing time this season as well. Rashawn Wilkins, Derek Green, and Nate Clifton kind of on that lower tier, but they they will see a little bit of time as well. So, Will, what I look at is number one, Davion Davis and McAllister. Th- those two guys should have a field day this season, um, whether it's inside or on the edges. But also, how do Malik Langham and Alex Williams approach this season because they have not played football in a long time, and, and you know neither of them got to play last season. Langham's a Florida transfer. He's finally getting a, a chance to prove himself. Williams, Ohio State transfer. Just like Langham, they're both finally being able to play. So that could be the X factor to, you know, to how these this oh, this D line performs and and if they can reach their potential. But Will Davion Davis is the leader of this team. Everybody um, has kind of learned that and figured that out because of what Coach Lee himself has said. And, and it's really, it's been cool seeing him step up as the leader. But Elijah McAllister, I think you could argue, is the vocal leader. This guy is, he, he was out there with, uh, with Taco Wright dancing uh, on, at the star, uh, at the door jam with the cheerleaders. So there's a lot of energy uh, with that guy and love what he brings. But with this D-line, like you said, they have potential. Number one, can they stay healthy? And number two, how do Langham and Williams play a couple of really long guys and how are they able to step up?
3: Yeah, it's, it, Malik Langham seems to be a guy that's going to be rotating everywhere on that defensive yeah. line. It looks like he's going to play some nose tackle as well as defensive end three techniques. So um, Davion Davis, clearly the, the the anchor of that defensive line, which is the anchor of the defense, making him the default anchor of the entire defense. And then you have Elijah McAllister who's going to be playing that star position coming mm-hmm. off of that torn ACL injury in 2020. Very talented guy. We saw him at door jam. The dude is a freak. He is a freak and Alex Williams may even look physically more like a freak. His backup Mm. at that star position, Alex Williams just seems to be like he hasn't been able to develop a full game. um, Just because you look at the guy and he looks like he should be a first round NFL Mm. draft pick and, and all, everything you read about him coming in, he was, I believe a four-star guy coming out of high school. He just couldn't really develop outside of that kind of one dimensional pass rusher Mm -hmm. type player and actually diagnosing and reading these run schemes and, and containing that edge. So, those guys, Rashawn Wilkins, um, is going to be a key guy rotating in the middle there, and actually Nate Clifton, I think, will be a pretty key guy on that defensive He's end as up well. A lot.
1: He has Nate Clifton has gotten a lot bigger, by the way.
3: But something that we can rarely say, Billy, and we said the opposite about the offensive line and running backs is Vanderbilt has depth. They have depth on one side of the line, and that is very rare to say that they have legitimate guys that i think they can rotate in and out keep fresh and they can bring in legit sec talent without a significant drop off off that bench so the defensive line needs to rotate in stay fresh and just stay healthy and elijah mcallister is being thrust into a much bigger role than he's had in the past but from everything you've heard and everything you've seen out of fall camp and leading up to over summer bowl and spring camp, the guy's ready to step up and he sure looks ready.
1: He's, he's ready to go. And and McAllister is, is you know, he's improved a lot. And I think when he came in here as a freshman, he was a Mason recruit. Uh, you know, I don't think we expected a whole lot from him, but he stepped into he's turned into a guy that could potentially become, I'm not going to say, a a player similar to Dio Dangbo, but kind of of that mold, a guy that can really wreak havoc Mm -hmm. in the backfield. And Davion Davis and McAllister are going to be very active this season, and especially in the backfield now. You know, there's some really good offensive lines in the SEC, so whether or not they're able to uh, to to do what they want to do is is going to be an, intriguing to watch and and will Williams I think is is the most interesting player on this defense and you know there's there's some there's some talent you know in in areas but again not a lot of depth on the back end but with Williams will. He's 6'6", 260. I mean, he's he's got the size of a tight end, and he's athletic, and and he I think him coming off the edge could 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 prove to be kind of scary for some offenses, and and I mean, Langham too. We haven't seen those guys. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't know much about them because, you know, I think the last film we're going off of is a lot of their high school film. So, well, and also
3: a lot of it is Billy. I mean, they were running a three down lineman defense. So a lot of these guys didn't get chances to be in the rotation as much. And the the three, four, and and we've talked about this in past podcasts. I I like the three, four defense for, for a professional football team in the NFL. Or if you are an elite level program, I love the 3-4. What the 3-4 requires you to do is have guys that individually it allows them to make one-on-one plays in the 3-4 defense. You scheme them to make one-on-one plays because you have even or superior talent to your opponents. Mm. Vanderbilt never has that. So you're asking that three-man defensive front to, to basically stalemate that offensive line. And then your talented and athletic sideline to sideline linebackers can fill the gaps and make plays. Well, that sounds awesome when you play in the Pac-12. When he moved to the SEC, you, it, it is difficult to, if you have four and five star guys for three defensive linemen to hold that mm-hmm. offensive line without making and getting up to that second or third level in these plays. And at Vanderbilt, it, it, there's no way you're going to be doing that with three star guys most of the time. So yep. I'm excited to see that four two, five, and it allows you to utilize the talent that you can bring in with the flexibility of that star and that anchor position that we're going to touch on soon
1: yes and and Will, i think this with this d line as well if you look at an a, the average sec team their d line they have probably 10 12 guys running through mm-hmm. that that depth vanderbilt this season they've got four i think main guys you'll see a lot of this year mm-hmm. and you've got an additional you could argue five guys that are rotating so it's just the the depth is not is not there but the guys they have they're going to be relied on heavily The depth
3: is not there as far as super deep compared to the other SEC teams, but for a typical Vanderbilt defense, I think this is some of the best depth they've had on the defensive line in a really long time.
1: Yeah. Now, if you compare it to SEC teams, you know, you're going to say, they're always
3: going to be falling short on (laughs) on either side of the offensive or defensive line when talking about depth of talent. Right. um, If you compare them to the rest of the
1: SEC. I mean, that's the cream of the crop you're arguing with, you know, Alabama, LSU, Georgia. So will it, how how do they play in the trenches? Clark Lee mm-hmm. values it. He understands that, and and he brought Bradley Ashmore and Davion Davis to SEC media days. And I think that could that should say a lot uh, to fans who are wondering how how physical they'll be. And you know they're gonna they're gonna outcondition you and out physical you. They're gonna try to <laughs> um, you know. Uh, so that's that's the goal. Well, now I say that, and and it's not. That's, that's, that's a lot of coach speak. You know, that's not that's, – you know, obviously Vanderbilt's not going to out physical uh, many opponents. But, again, that, with Coach Lee at the helm, you're going to see a lot of tough players and, and guys that are just molded differently. Um, well, that's the D-line, though. Uh, we're going to move now to the linebackers. And this is, a, a, a again, another interesting group. Very, very low on depth, though. Uh, th- this is a group that, uh, of course, lost Dimitri Moore. And you know they, they've kind of you, you've, you've seen a switch from McAllister now he'll be on the edge likely there in in the four two five but I think what you're looking at is a guy like Anthony Orgy to to step up and, and you know he was a leading tackler last season uh, he, but he's going to have to step into that that leadership role but Will you've also got a guy like Ethan Barr who you know who played last season of course but you know how how reliable is he going to be to Wright? is the anchor uh, spot right now. And, you know, we, we've, we've seen from practice of course, and depth charts that, that he is the expected starter, but you could argue Michael Owusu could get some time uh, in there as well. So, Will, when you look at these linebackers, what's your first thought?
3: My first thought is you have that Vanderbilt needs speed at the, at the linebacker position, especially running four down linemen. So you're going to have some more beef on that field.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And The Orgy brothers do provide that in the middle. And right now you see coming out, Afrini Orgy led the team in tackles last season. He's likely going to be starting at one of those inside inside linebacker Mm -hmm. spots, I think the will position. And then you have Ethan Barr on the other side at the mic position. And Ethan Barr, he's an old school middle linebacker. Mm -hmm. He's not fast sideline to sideline at all, but he's a thumper. He'll come in, make the hits. He is. And he's a guy that you want to root for, but when he was on that field last season he looked like he belonged playing at the level of tennessee tech he got exposed on consistently on stretch plays and being unable to get sideline to sideline and that's something that cannot happen in a 425 defense even with the anchor and star positions out there supposedly being able to fill those gaps and create mm-hmm. containment so i expect by a, after the first let me think you got week 1 you got etsu week 2 yep. colorado state week 3 stanford by week four, about halfway through that Georgia game, I think Alston Orji will be the second starting linebacker okay. um, out there. And I think that doesn't mean Ethan Barr won't be rotating in and mm-hmm. in situations, different packages, because he is a bigger body linebacker. That is that is a big piece to utilize in yeah. certain situations. But down in, down out in modern college football, he's just not fast enough. And, and, unless, and I'm really hoping to come out and see that he looks like a completely different player and looks a lot faster, but his cone drill needs to increase by about 20%, and so does his 40-yard dash and everything related to that. So hopefully he has increased speed, and Afron Eorgie should be able to lessen that lack of yeah. SEC speed that he has. But that's something that Vanderbilt just, just has to have is guys that can go sideline to sideline like Zach Cunningham as the anchor of that defense at the linebacker positions um, on those successful teams we've seen in the past.
1: I'm gonna laugh as hard as I've ever laughed if Ethan Barr comes out and looks like an absolute burner. Just, I hope silent. he does.
3: <laughs> I hope to be proven. Un... Any time no, I'm I... negative, I've said it consistent. I hope to be proven unequivocally wrong when yeah, I come yeah. out and say anything negative. <laughs> but I've got to be. I've got to say what I think.
1: Hey, but it, it is—it's—he's a guy that is physical, but he mm-hmm. has to be able to run side on to side on. Yes, you, you have to, and that's what Dimitri Moore could do, and that's when mm. losing him hurts a lot. But well, you also got Braden devault Smith, a local guy that uh, that went to Overton, Filetti Afamui, who you know is another physical guy. But if, if I think they devault have,
3: Smith was Pearl Cone, wasn't he?
1: I think he might have been Pearl, actually. I think yeah, he might be I right. think that's right. <laughs> yeah, so we'll uh, we'll try to get that right. Yeah, a little he is. Uh, he is actually a Pearl Cone uh, graduate product. Um, so Brayden DeVault Smith, you know, is going to have we talk about it a lot of these position groups. Will a lot of guys are going to have to be forced to play, like mm-hmm. you know, again, Ethan Barr may struggle going sideline to sideline, but he's got to be on the field, you know, that that's just kind of what uh it's kind of forcing Coach Lee's hand. But, Will, let's dive into this anchor position now. Vanderbilt has had. A position like this before uh, but I don't think to this degree I don't think the way coach Lee has utilized this position has been what how Derek Mason has been utilizing the position and you have the Ricky Wright again who we touched on is probably going to play that anchor position I think I think he fits perfect he, he's he's put on a, a, a little bit more weight he's a tall rangy guy and and, and again but does he have the speed to, to make that sideline-to-sideline side tackle? Is he going to be physical enough? So they've been training him. They've been kind of trying to mold him into that guy. But, Will, I'm really excited to see not only this season but in the future how Coach Lee takes advantage of this anchor position because you've seen it with, with guys he's coached at Notre Dame. I mean, Jeremiah Wusu koromoa he was a guy that not a very highly rated recruit, but Coach Lee – worked him you know to the bone and said hey you're going to become my anchor position my star I guess you know whatever they called it at Notre Dame but well I think if if the if this anchor position can make an impact it's going to help this team a lot because if those two linebackers in the middle don't have enough speed you've got the anchors to come up and and, and kind of um, you know uh, not you know limit I guess the big play and getting outside at, at least that's the hope.
3: Fits the anchor role right now because Derek Mason didn't have that position, so you don't have a skill set because it's kind of a tweener almost, yeah. and it's kind of a, just a utility versatility guy that doesn't really fit a single position, mm-hmm. and they don't really have that. And the closest things they have right now are Dericky Wright. It was a really highly recruited guy coming out of high school, I believe. He was an ESPN three hundred top top mm-hmm. recruit, um, and you also have Michael Owusu and I think you're going to see that kind of. A, a position that doesn't have a guy that you say is a true every down starter. I think you'll see a lot of situational rotating in and out and whoever's playing better at that position that game. And I think you'll see a lot of times, but I think it'll be about 60% Duriki Wright, 40% Owusu, maybe 30% Owusu, mm-hmm. 70% Duriki Wright. And that week one, two, three is going to determine and their performance in there who takes a majority of the snaps the remainder of the season once we actually hit the meat of SEC play.
1: Yeah, and, it, well, that that's going to be it, the, the grind of this season. How, how much are these guys worn down? How are they able to counteract that with their conditioning they've had? And Coach Lee has, has talked about it a lot. We're going to be the most con- physically conditioned team in the country. And, you know, like you've heard a lot of that coach speak, but I believe in Coach Lee, and I'm not going to say they're going to be you know, they're going to be in a lot of these shootouts and they're going to be with every team they play, but they're going to fight and they're, and this defense, it starts with this, with this. I mean, I'm going to say it starts with the linebackers, but it starts with that anchor position. If you have a guy that can come up and make plays, that's going to change, change the, change the, uh, the defense. So, well, it's, again, it's going to be interesting. I think this could be the weakest part of this team uh, just because of the lack of depth, but, uh, w- once we get back up into, um, you know, into ETSU, we'll, we'll we're going to learn a lot more about the scheme and what we see uh, from these guys. It's time now, though, Will, to get to the secondary. And we're going to start at the two corner positions. I think these are settled, Will. Um, now, what we have down right now is Gabe, Judy, Lolly uh, on one side, and then Jalen Mahoney on the other. But I think I think Allen George is going to start. Um, I, I just think you know again I don't I have no idea but from my opinion I think Alan George is 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 a guy that you could see starting alongside Jalen Mahoney on the other side so it could be something where it's Jalen Mahoney one side Alan George but well this is a young group that they're very young Alan George is you could argue the leader, um, but it, with the corner position this has been a spot where Vanderbilt has struggled, especially recently. Uh, now they've had a few solid corners come out of the league, come into the league with Juwan Williams, of course, guys like Casey Hayward. Um, and, 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 you know, guys like that, but well, they don't, I don't think they have a guy you can look at and say, yeah, he he's, he's not going to get targeted a lot. I, I just, I, you know, I, I think, I, I think a guy has to step up. You could argue that's Alan George, but, you know, somebody's going to have to step up in this group and and take and take the reins.
3: Yeah, you you said that the linebacker group was probably the weakest position on the team, and I've saved here. that statement from for for myself because this is by far the weakest position group of this team, and it's not even close. Um, the secondary on this team will be the part of this team that is going to get Vanderbilt destroyed in some weeks, and the lack of depth that they have. Um, I, it's just it's obvious they've they have three guys at corner they've Gabe, Judy Lolly. they have Alan George and they have Jalen Mahoney, no one else on that roster on any other SEC team would ever step foot on a field, and I think that really the case is Vandy has zero guys on that secondary that would actually play for any other SEC team, and that's just what it is no other position group on this entire team is that the case. And they have some guys that have stepped up in the past. Alan George has played well at times, and he's played poorly sometimes. Jalen Mooney has played really, really well at some times. Same with Gabe Judy Lolly. And at other times, they've looked completely lost. So we're not going to really know until we hit probably that Colorado State game um, up in that high elevation, mm-hmm. because week one, you're not going to get a good judge just because the athleticism ETSU is going to bring is not going to be that yeah. great Colorado State, not really a great offensive team. And then Stanford's replacing their NFL draft pick, starting quarterback, mm-hmm. Georgia, known for running the football. So really this secondary at the beginning of the season could be band-aided over just by the teams that they are playing. Right. But this and the lack of depth they have. I mean, John House is a freshman, and he's on this, on this depth chart and will likely be rotated in, and he is not ready physically to play in the SEC. B.J. Anderson, Tyson Russell, no experience there. Uh, the safeties, uh, which we'll be touching on in a second, actually, I think can be a kind of a saver for the secondary. But yes. I know that was pretty negative, Billy. And it is what it is. But <laughs> I just, I, I, everything can't be roses. And we've been pretty positive for a team that I think right now the over under for Vegas wins with higher odds on the under is at over under of three and a half wins this mm-hmm. season. So it so we can't go through this whole roster preview and say there's so much talent here. No. Um and, and be completely honest with Commodore fans. So no. this is where this is where problems are going to pop up for for this team, especially if there is a single ankle tweak throughout this entire season from any of those three guys we just laid out.
1: Yeah, I completely agree, Will. I mean, y- you look at it, Tyson Russell and John House are gonna have to play. We're, we're going to mm-hmm. see those yep. freshmen this season. And and that's not a great sign. And B.J. But, Anderson is going to have to play as well. Yes, man. Uh, you know, Mahoney, George, Judy Lally, Anderson, Russell, House, all those guys. I mean, those are the, those are your six guys right now, really, uh, if you look at it. I thought initially that you might see a couple safeties move over to create yep. depth. But again, who knows? Again, we, a lot of this is speculation and we're going to have to wait and see until until ETSU. But. Uh, it, it's, it's, uh, the corner position. Now we got the safety position and will, I agree. The safety group looks a lot better. Um, and than the corner position. Uh, but I think it's because of the experience you've got Maxwell worship, a senior, Brendan Harris, a junior Deshaun Jerkins, a junior as well. Now, you know, those three guys, Jerkins, Worship and Harris have played in the sec. They've faced off with electric offenses and and they've been able uh to do some things now you know how 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 consistent are they you've seen worship struggle a little bit jerkins has had his moments but brendan harris will i think is the best player in the secondary uh and i don't think it's really that close uh, he's a guy that was a highly ranked recruit i think a four-star at a baylor uh, in chattanooga and for brendan harris he he is the leader of that secondary now they're Again, we're not at practice. There could be something else happening right now, but they're another young group. I think they're a little bit better than the corner group. There's a little bit more depth, but you also have guys like Chase Lloyd and Justin Harris who are gonna have to, who are gonna have to play as well. And again, I'm I'm excited to, to see, you know, how 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 much better this secondary, the safety group can be. But again, there's not a ton of depth and they're gonna be, it's gonna be a challenge. It's gonna be a challenge for all the entire secondary all season.
3: Yeah, the safeties, Deshaun Jerkins is a proven SEC caliber player Mm -hmm. and he has performed well since he's been on the field. He'll come up and make hits in the run game. He's decent in coverage. He's a legit player and I have confidence in him moving forward this season. Maxwell Worship is a rangy safety. I have confidence in him moving forward. Brendan Harris is a solid player as well. Um, Justin Harris is going to have to step up a little bit unproven, but Mm -hmm. this secondary man, the safeties are going to have to make a lot of plays ranging because those corners are not going to be able to come up in in the run game. They just don't have the guys over there to be able to come up and run support, and there's really a lack of depth in the secondary in general, and I'm really afraid with some of these offenses this year specifically we have coming in in the SEC, it could be a bloodbath um, as far as just run and gun and teams just gassing our secondary because you have guys at the top end, and usually we talk about this on the defensive line, is our top three guys or four guys or whatever it may be on the defensive line can compete and are of that caliber Mm -hmm. and can't play. But other teams in SEC bring in five, six, seven more guys of that same caliber, and Vanderbilt can't bring in any guys of that same caliber. And this year, I think we're flipped. I think it's that way in the secondary now, Mm -hmm. and we have two, three guys at the safety and the corner positions that are at least close to SEC caliber and aren't going to be glaring weaknesses or they're too young and not developed enough. But the moment that they start running, facing these up-tempo offenses like Ole Miss, who's expected to be very, very good this year, I, I just can't see these guys maintaining the same level of energy that is going to be required um, to cover these up, up-tempo up offenses without being able to rotate in guys that are at least up to that caliber. And then once you put in those backups, man, it, it's it's – it's a roll really of uh, dice. Yeah. So it's, uh... it, it's going to be a very stressful time for Commodore fans because I think there are going to be a lot of times this year that we just say, Man, if we could just stop these five to ten yard and intermediate patterns, mm-hmm. we could have a shot against this team and yeah. we just won't be able to cover.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see how much cushion the 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 corners mm-hmm. give. Yeah. Because with Mason, I think sometimes they were they were being given 10, 15 yards of cushion and mm-hmm. and all they did was throw screens and quick out routes and Boom. But all it's, it's of this 10, said, all of
3: this said, I think Jalen Mahoney and Judy Lolly have a chance to be, to step up into yeah. this role, and I hope I hope they come out and are prove me completely wrong with my concerns in the secondary because I think there is some talent there that just is completely unproven. So yeah. all of this negativity to say that I'm not going into the season. With the expectation they're going to be horrendous, I'm just saying right. prepare for that.
1: Right, and, and, and right, prepare accordingly, and, yes. and because because this de- the back end of this defense, I agree with you. Will is where this team will 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 get hurt, and and I think it's really going to be interesting to see how Coach Lee hides some mm-hmm. of their lack of depth. And again, you talked about kind of putting a band aid on it there, week one and likely week two, uh, but you get to play in Georgia, South Carolina. Missouri every SEC team really you know you're you're gonna you gotta have some dudes in the secondary you have to Mm -hmm. and you gotta be physical and you gotta be able to keep up you gotta tackle and and that was an issue (laughs) last season
3: that was a big Uh, issue under Derek Mason teams was tackling yeah um,
1: and pretty fundamental pretty fundamental aspect of football And, and but Will with all that being said um, I, I do think it's going to. I mean, you you can't get worse than last year. The, the defense. Uh, all they all they have to do is go up, and uh, again, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how how much better these uh, these groups can get. Well, we've got s- some special teams to talk about. Let's do it. We got a new kicker in West End. His name is Joseph Bulavus, uh transfer from Alabama. Is that the first time that's ever happened? I don't know I don't if know. Vander. Oh, we had Mac Herford. Mac that's Herford. right. Mac um, Herford. But I think that those might be the only two <laughs> transfers from Alabama Vandy's ever gotten. Um, and hey, it's a good sign. i Mac Mac Herford wasn't uh you know a, a big time receiver by any by any means, but Joseph Bulovis is gonna make an impact. Um, I think it's better than anything they had last season. Pearson cook uh four for nine on field goals, and uh that's that's just not gonna get it done. Uh, I mean, yeah, I don't.
3: I don't think Bolovis is an extremely incredible kicker by any stretch of the imagination. He was inconsistent at Alabama, which is why he transferred. He has a decently strong leg.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: That being said, this is going to be probably the biggest improvement at any position group that we've ever seen in Vanderbilt history. Last year was (laughs) not even getting into the Sarah Fuller stuff. Last year was embarrassing on the special team side of the ball. I, I mean, it, it just was, and it was an embarrassment to the entire football program. And Joseph Bolivis is going to come in, even though he was inconsistent on shorter field goals and extra points at Alabama, and he's going to provide the semblance of a legitimate SEC caliber points. kicker. Yes, he was, unfortunately. Oh, so God. I've got to pull up the stats. But yes, uh, when I was reading through and he transferred in, you were very excited. And I <laughs> uh, think I texted you back and said, go look at the extra point stats. Okay. But well, I'm, excited. Well, he, I'm excited to have a kicker coming in that's a legitimate SEC kicker. Long he's, story he's,
1: short. he's hit some long field goals. At yes, Alabama. he has. He has a strong I mean, leg. Yeah, but he's also missed some big ones. He yes, missed he that has. one in the Iron Bowl. Uh, that, that I don't made. think
3: he will. He will not have a, a single kick at Vanderbilt, though, that has had the pressure of probably his... Top oh, 15, 20 no. most pressure kicks. Maybe any of the kicks he kicked mm-hmm. in Alabama will have right. the same level of pressure here. And he
1: gets a bad rap because as soon as you go on YouTube, it's mostly negative highlights. It's it's Bulivis misses huge kick against <laughs> Alabama <laughs> with like 50,0 000 views. Bulivis
3: and- blows it for Bama. <laughs> like and I think that was the first headline that I saw when I looked up his name. <laughs> and I was like, new kicker transfers to Vanderbilt, Joseph Bullavis. <laughs> it's like Joseph Bullavis, Alabama, and it said Bullivus <laughs> Was <laughs> it for and I'm like, okay, like, oh, perfect. Perfect,
1: so, perfect, perfect. That's what go. we need, yeah. But no, uh, with all that being said, though, he's a solid, solid, kick. A serious
3: note, he's Yeah. A good kick, and <laughs> yeah. I'm excited to have him,
1: yeah. And he's a whole lot better than anything they had last year <laughs> than they put out there. Well, kicking is something that again, we don't talk about a whole lot. Uh, But it's nice to not talk about it because usually when you're talking about it, it's because it's bad. Yeah,
3: it's it's one of those things you take for granted. It's like having a good punter. It's like what we have this year in Harrison Smith, which we were going to get to next next uh, on here was Harrison Smith next year next on here. is Harrison Smith, who is a very good punter, which is very important for Vanderbilt. Just like a kicker is very important to Vanderbilt, uniquely even more than every other college yeah. team because Vanderbilt likes to stall drives inside the 25, and flipping field position is very important. So I'm re- Harrison Smith, I'm about as fired up to, a, to watch him go up there. is really good. He is very, he's, very talented.
1: He's a guy that I think when you see him back there, it's like, okay, we're good. This is going to be at least a 40-yard punt. Or, you know maybe longer um you know I think there have been times where uh in the past you know you, this kind of dates dates us a little bit but Vanderbilt has had some pretty good punters like <laughs> Vanderbilt you could argue is punter you like I, I don't know if
3: that's a good marketing technique for Clark Lee <laughs> as he's trying to up <laughs> the optics of the program you'll have like LSU is DBU and they're arguing and <laughs> Vanderbilt's gonna sit there and be like oh you're DBU punter well, you punter, baby. Punter you baby yeah.
1: Dude, but Brian, Brian Hanfelt was, I think he's probably the best punter uh, in Vanderbilt history, but uh, Harrison Smith is a local kid again from Brentwood and he's, he's as good as they get. Like he's, he's pretty damn reliable with a massive leg. So uh, again, not too much analysis on, on, uh, on Harrison Smith, but again, if both can, can make consistently 35, 40 yard field goals, I think this team is going to be a whole lot better. Like a lot of this, a lot of, what? How many points this team scores is gonna is gonna depend on how how well Bolivis kicks. So Bolivis. It's just
3: also the expectations of Vanderbilt fans. They're not extremely high at, at kicker. I mean, you you right. have very low. We're not expecting you to come out and be, um, oh, what is the Georgia kicker's name with the with the glasses? Uh, He's playing for the Colts. What's um, his name? He never missed a kick in his entire college career He's the Great he no, Adgets Vanderbilt. Perfect. I cannot remember his name to save my life. Blankenship. Rodrigo Yeah, Blankenship.
1: Rodrigo Blank Hot Rod. We
3: we don't need that level of talent kicker. Vanderbilt fans want a guy that will consistently hit kicks inside of 35 yards, and that's all we're asking for, not perfection. So what I think need, he will
1: fill that role. What we need is a carry spear again, a guy oh, that yeah. can that, a guy that is a Swiss Army knife. I mean, he he had a fake field goal run that was – I mean, that, that might have been the best special teams play ever. Great call by Coach Franklin. But he also laid guys out. I mean, he was demolishing <laughs> 2012, 2012
3: against Tennessee, against Cordero Patterson. Poor Cordero
1: Patterson. Yeah, that, that's what Vanderbilt needs. They need a guy with a little chip on his shoulder. So uh, <laughs> maybe maybe that is both of us. We'll have to see. I don't think he's hes as physical as Cary Spear, but, uh, <laughs> but we're going to have to see. Well, that does it. That pretty much does it here for the defensive analysis. Is there anything else uh, wanna, you want to you want to leave us with here before we get into the schedule next?
3: Yeah, we didn't go over punt returner and kick returner. Oh, uh, right. We have, yeah, we haven't we we haven't really heard much about that, but you would think Cam Johnson is probably going to be the guy returning punts. Yeah, puns. Cam Johnson um, and I
1: think I've heard
3: Taco right possibly. Potentially taco um, right, maybe
1: Devin Body also back there. Yeah,
3: but I I would really think it's going to be Cam Johnson because they're they're not going to be looking for the most explosive punt returner. They're going to be looking for the most sure handed punt returner, yes. which will like, be Cam Johnson. I'm sure Coach
1: him. Lee, all he wants and needs right there is a guy that can catch it and and but punt returner is a tough job. Like that gets really overlooked because of the the decisions you got to make. On the fly. I mean, you have probably and you three... affect
3: field position a significant oh, amount that's with why a coaches, with a good punt returner and yeah. returner.
1: I think that's a lot of coaches' pet peeves that the way mm. their punt returner plays. But Cam, well, Johnson, that's exactly
3: it, what happened. That's how the first points of the year were scored. Where a were a bone was a boneheaded a punt, play by a a punt from a punt returner. Yep. yep.
1: That's that's. That's college what you can't back. have.
3: Yes, college football's back. <laughs> and college kick football. returner, man, I don't think we've heard anything. I think at this point we're just throwing darts at a dartboard almost as yeah, far as I, kick returner. Who
1: knows? Who knows with kick returner? I mean, he's, who? I don't even. I can't even remember who. Donovan Coffin was the kick returner. Yeah, he was the guy year, that so. returned
3: him. Maybe Rocco Griffin, possibly Cam Johnson. Possibly. I, I think.
1: I think you'll see Cam back there, uh, and then I think I've heard Devin Body, but again, uh, I think with Cam back there, that's just there, complete.
3: Complete. That's us looking at the roster and just guessing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's all that we're doing there. There's not any, there's not any inside ducks, information on there. Yet.
1: Yeah. Uh, but, Will, that, that's, that's pretty much it. We, uh, we, we ran through the defense. We got the offense done as well. Before we get into our interview with Chris Williams, the former Vanderbilt offensive lineman from 2005 to 2007, it's time now to send it over to Gary Scales for a few words on our presenting sponsor. Alaco Fine Wood Floors.
2: No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on.
1: Welcome back into the door reports alongside Will Byram. I'm Billy Derrick, and we are ready and raring to go here in the interview portion. We've got Chris Williams, former Vanderbilt offensive lineman from 2005 to 2007, the Glen Louisiana native. So uh, lived live most of his life in the South first team, all SEC in 2007, he started 33 consecutive games for the Commodores. Uh, so, so quite the quite quite the stat there for, for Chris Williams, 14th overall pick by the Chicago Bears in the 2008 draft, and he played in the NFL from 08 to 2014 with the Bears. Well, we're just gonna let that train roll by.
3: oh my God, let me move.
1: Be- <laughs> That's okay, <laughs>
3: dude. That thing comes. <laughs> The time, man,
0: you gotta learn the training schedule, man. Come on, man, you gotta know your training schedule.
3: <laughs> oh, he's disconnected. 3 and it likes to. <laughs> all right, you're good now, Will, or no? <laughs> I'm muted, it's still coming by, so I'm okay. just gonna mute and you just keep going. And I'll okay. unmute, all right. I'll all
1: unmute right. once it's all right. Sorry about that. All right. Welcome back into the Door Report alongside Will Byram. I'm Billy Derrick. We are now happy to be joined here by Chris Williams, former Vanderbilt offensive lineman from 2005 to 2007. He's a Glenn, Louisiana native. First team All-SEC back in 2007, his senior year on West End. And he also started 33 consecutive games for the Commodores. He was a 14th overall pick by the Chicago Bears in the 2008 draft and went on to play in the NFL from 2008 to 2014 with the Bears and Rams and Bills. So it's an absolute honor to get Chris Williams here on the podcast, a guy that was recently back on campus in West End speaking with a team. We'll get into that. But Chris, thanks for coming on, man. How you doing?
0: Oh, I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, glad to be on a, a Vanderbilt dedicated channel. It's
1: fun. Yeah, yes, sir. Yes, sir. We got to get uh, had to get Chris Williams on here as soon as possible. Saw that you were uh, back on campus, visiting with the team, and uh, you know it's it's something that I think a lot of Vanderbilt people have noticed about Coach Lee and and this staff, and he's kind of ingraining these players with with guys like you, and and I mean heck, Earl Bennett is is on the staff, and and you've got so many of those guys, Norval McKenzie, Javon Hay. He's really. He's he's filling the hallways with Vanderbilt people. So, what does that mean to you? Just looking looking at this this program now and seeing that, but also, uh, what did it mean to be invited over there and uh, and have a chance to st- talk with the players?
0: Oh, it's it's just neat, man. there was you know the previous regimes. Um, I mean, they were what they were. They were coming in and trying to institute a culture and. They were looking at Vanderbilt as – I don't think they really recognize the rich tradition we had. Um, Regardless of wins or losses, you had a lot of guys who worked very hard in that place, and that's something that Clark has acknowledged, I feel like. And, um, you know, having all my ex-teammates – I got, you know, four ex-teammates up there on staff. And and there's so many people that are still in the building that have been there for years, um, even up to, you know, Candace Story who's been there for – she's been there since before I got to Vanderbilt. So I got to know her pretty well, my time on campus. And um, I don't know. It's just, it feels like it used to feel when I was there. It just It was it's really neat going up there because it's just a lot of, just bringing back a lot of feelings of, because a lot of the things are still in the same place. They've done a lot to the building until this new renovation right. goes, you know, but practice feels still in the same place. So you got a lot of memory, a lot of fine memories there, you know.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, especially with, with you talked about of your body on the staff, it's, it's the place starting to feel like it, it did in, in two thousand eight. That's that's something that when you, when you hear that, that's it's it's hard to replicate. It's hard to replicate success in a lot of ways. But uh, what Coach Lee has already done, you know, hasn't played any games yet. But um, how how important do you, and impactful do you think his first, you know, hasn't even been here uh, for five months, you know? But how how impactful do you think it has, it has already been, and 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 how much of a message do you think um, that has sent to to Commodore Nation.
0: Oh, I mean, I think it's it's I think it's definitely have an impact on former players like myself. You know, I think guys are eager to come back around and and just want to come back and just kind of give their experience with the place and what they went through. And um, you know, Clark's got he knows what he's got in front of him. I was lobbying for Clark before he got here because. I just felt like from a Vanderbilt's perspective, you can't ask someone to come in from the outside of a West end and, and evaluate our facilities and what we have from, we are SEC school, but it's kind of, you kind of got to think outside of the box because of the amount of space we have. It may not even be a funding issue. It's just a space issue. So how do you make this thing really intimate, but nice. And these types of things and Clark from the time Clark left to now it's it's fantastic, I'm sure. You know, it's like when he got back, he probably was like, man, it's really nice. We didn't have this. We didn't have that. So you got a guy that's coming in who can see the giant steps that have been taken, but it's also been in Notre Dame and can be like, well, if we had this, this, and this, I think it would push us over the top. Because when you've been in one of those highly well-funded, huge programs, you know what's fluff. I mean, you spend a lot of time there. It's like, we really don't necessarily need this. Like players need this, they don't need this. You know, I don't know what those pieces are because in a lot of ways are a step down from college facilities. So I don't know exactly what is needed, but with him being that in a big time college program and then having Norval was at Louisville and, you know, it just allows them some knowledge. You know, um, Coach Nogle was at Wisconsin, um, Coach Blasio at North Coast State. So you got coaches that come from all around the country and can put that input together. You can put together something really nice, I feel.
3: Yeah, you kind of stole stole my thunder of my next question, which was the importance of having someone that that can address the unique and specific challenges of Vanderbilt and kind of upgrading the facilities around it. So kind of skip to what I wanted to ask next. Um, We'll take you back to uh, being recruited to Vanderbilt University. What about that, that place on West End was special and made you choose uh, to play your college football there?
0: Oh, I mean, it was the appeal of everything. I, I'm from Louisiana, so I, I, I was really familiar with the Southeastern Conference. Obviously, I grew up in my high school was a few miles from LSU, and probably I bet not even exaggerated seven percent of my graduating class goes to LSU from wow. where I went to high school at. So, um, really familiar with the SEC. So that was the draw for me was a chance to one go get a, a very uh, premium education, you know, and get it in the SEC. So, you know, it was sold to me as, hey, you're going to go somewhere. You're going to play against the best talent, regardless of, regardless from my perspective of how great your teammates are, what your record is, you're going to play against the best players that are out there. And the reality is, these guys think they're going to pass their stats versus Vanderbilt in a lot of ways. And we weren't having it when I was there. So um, it was a chance to come, Play in SEC, get a great education, and then not even knowing at the time I was gonna fall in love with Nashville, making my home, you know, permanently. But coming to Nashville was just a at that time. I mean, it's 2003,
1: so a lot different. Yeah, not yeah, quite you know, the same. Just,
0: <laughs> Nashville is still a y'all know. Nashville is still a very big, small town, but I mean, mm-hmm. even more so. Then you could get from at that time you could get from Antioch to like Hendersonville in like 40 minutes, you know. And now it probably take you half the day. <laughs>
1: yeah. Hey, I, uh, we, we feel you on that. But uh, also, that's awesome you're, you're still living in Nashville. I want to go back a little bit and, and talk about your playing days. Um, you know, it, you I got to ask real quick, you played alongside Clark Lee, correct?
0: Yeah, we were together okay. I think for- Two years, two one years. or two years. Okay. Yeah. Well,
1: I, I want to ask you about Coach Lee, the player, and and you know <laughs> okay. you, you can you can get you can get as deep as you want, um, you know, uh, on this because you know you don't you hear obviously tough guy walk on fullback, but but take us inside the locker room with Coach Lee a little bit, and, and what what was his personality like, and, and and was was he a guy that you always thought would probably you know become a coach someday?
0: Um. You know, what was weird about Clark was I didn't, I mean, at that time, I didn't really even really know what walk-ons was like that. I didn't, you know, I knew the scholarship players, but I didn't really, I mean, all the guys work the same, they eat the same, they dress the same. So it was like walk-on, I didn't really get it at that time in my career. as young. So, you know, I just saw Clark. He was an older guy. He's a leader. I love baseball growing up. I found out he played baseball and I was like, oh, he's a baseball player. And he just got that had a, a ton of integrity and worked. He worked really hard. Like he was one of the guys that was leading groups and winning workouts and working his tail off in the weight room. And he just worked really hard and he was a fullback, you know, which is a greedy position It's almost eliminated nowadays, but playing fullback in the SEC is that ain't, that ain't no joke, man. Um, even getting through training camp as a fullback is a, is a big deal. So, um, and at that time it was him. And I think we had a, uh, matt tent i think matt Tant was the starting fullback at the time and uh those guys just worked i mean they all worked really hard and um i mean i just remember him working really hard and i remember him being one of the one of the lead guys as far as workouts and integrity and just being an all-around good dude and i always, clark left a good impression on me that's part of the reason i came back because he he talked to me you know he's one of the older guys he wasn't like a he wasn't trying to haze you or any of that kind of stuff. He just he just was a cool like he was cool. So it was like he'd sit there and have a conversation with you about how things are going and and don't mess up and and you know, just kind of keep trying to make sure your head was on straight. He wasn't really with the shenanigans. So I appreciated that.
3: I wanna go back to something you mentioned earlier. Did you, you said you grew up loving baseball? Did you play baseball growing up? I did. Man, I think you would be pretty intimidating at the plate how if about uh, you, uh, had gone, you had gone you would have of you would gone that route instead how about, how about of, uh, big Chris Williams tackle. on the mound? Yeah. The man. <laughs> man, he would make Kumar Rocker look a little smaller out there, but um, yes.
0: go- <laughs> <laughs> Kumar throws throws about
3: thirty miles an hour faster than I can. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit. But yeah. uh, I just wanted to ask about that before I got into uh, Asking about another player, I don't know if you saw uh, you played with him, I believe, on the Chicago Bears as well in the NFL. Very well-known former Commodore Jay Cutler, who has recently rejoined Twitter. Um, Tell us a little bit about playing with him and what his personality was like inside that locker room. Because you hear and see the outside perception of him, um, but just kind of from the inside. and, And you had a lot of experience playing alongside him.
0: Oh, I mean, you know, Jay, super talented guy um we spent a lot of time together at vandy and then and then in the league we we butted heads a bit early at vandy um just because i was like a punk freshman and 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 he was you know the quarterback so um so yeah but uh jay you know a great thing about jay was jay i remember when jay got drafted we were hoping he went to the titans you know everybody was like hoping he'd come to the Titans and then the Titans end up drafting Vince Young. But when I saw Jay get drafted, it was kind of when I realized, not kind of, it was absolutely when I realized like, oh man, you can go play in the NFL, like from Vanderbilt, because you knew it was a thing, but it was like, you hadn't really seen it. We hadn't, hadn't seen anybody go in the first round and get drafted high. And I, Jay was a guy I had spent a lot of time in the weight room with, had been in the huddle with, on the field with. And, and you know, I spent my second year, I was ineligible my second year, my redshirt freshman year. And uh, a lot of those older guys, him and Norval, I mean, they gave me a really hard time because I was supposed to start at center that year. And so that was really a big growth year for me. And um, then getting to play with him in the huddle with him that one year in 05 and then go and beat UT. Mm. And uh, I mean, seeing him get drafted and put on the show he did, Pro Day and all that kind of stuff. He threw the ball at Pro Day. I mean, it's like an urban legend the way he was dealing <laughs> out there in the wind that day. Um, and uh it was it's so funny we all knew him jay where well, he worked out he worked really hard so um when it came to him running the 40 we all knew he'd run really fast and he ran like <laughs> four six or something and it was like a big deal and we Damn. all knew how fast he was um and what he could do so we knew really he could bench he could be he, he could outbench me up until no probably oh five like <laughs> so he was strong man and and um, we were really I actually George Smith and Marlon White were actually in Chicago when we found out he was coming to Chicago uh, when the Bears had traded for him. So that was super exciting and, and be able to play with him again. And and uh, you know, wish we we made it to the NFC Championship the one year. And mm-hmm. you know, you ultimately wish you could go to the Super Bowl, but the only one team to get to do that every year. So um, there's so much that goes into to winning. Football games at any level, coaching, players, development. There's so much, and then you gotta have good injury luck as well. Um, you know, I, I saw Jay Jay's gotten the the raw end of the deal a lot. He takes he's taken a beating about a lot of things, but I, I never had nothing but good experiences with him. He 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 fought his butt out when he was out there on the field, and he, a guy that literally could have had the city of Chicago in the palm of his hand. You know, could have been on every billboard. <laughs> Done every endorsement major thing, but that's just not his style. You know, he's a guy. He's at uh he's at freaking the children's hospital on Christmas Day without any cameras. Nobody knows. That's you know, that's what it is. So I haven't uh, I you know, we we had a good time and and uh had a good run, ups and downs and otherwise.
1: Yeah, that's that's uh, that's something that I think a lot of people forget about. You also were in Chicago with them, and along yeah. with I think it was five other Vanderbilt players at once. Yeah, me, him, um,
0: Earl, Hunter, Hillemeyer, DJ Moore. Yep. yep.
1: So that's awesome. I mean that that's something that you look at and and you can market that and say, hey, you know Vanderbilt football it brings guys in the league. They they put guys in the league, and that seems like that's where Clark is going with this. And, and, you know, what, what you were talking about with, Hey, Cutler goes to the NFL now, Hey, I, I feel like I can. So with, with that, do you think that that can be something that Vanderbilt can market and say, Hey, you know, we, we are a private school in the SEC, but we're, we're going to be putting guys in the NFL just like everybody else.
0: Absolutely. There's nothing that stops us. I mean, the, the, the crux, the Vanderbilt's biggest issue is like they're, are there really smart five-star recruits out there? Absolutely. There are guys that are five-star recruits that can get into Vanderbilt or Stanford, but it's getting them to the want to come to Vanderbilt's difference and not go to right. Bama and not go to Clemson and all these other places. So that's the trick. It's like, so your recruiting pot is already smaller because of the academic requirement. And then, you know, with the administration tightening the screws after some of the things that happened when Franklin was here and that type of thing. So it's it's doable. But you got to build it. and I think that's what Clark's committed to is building it and, and building it the right way. And when you show guys, I mean, I was, we've talked about it over – just being back on campus has got me into more conversation with some of my ex-teammates and having the amount of NFL talent we had on the field on our side of the ball at times, which is – it's just fantastic. It's, it's just really neat to see because we had guys we – put, we put guys in the league short and long term. So we, we're proud of that, and, and it's doable. But it's a mindset that has to be established early on and often. And you just got to – that's the recruiting part of the world that I do not know. But it's definitely doable.
3: So we have to ask about the new uniforms and the reveal that happened. And and we have to ask about two things. Number one, the actual uniform, which I'm a huge fan of because it looks like a throwback to – to your playing days with the shoulder yeah, stripes. Just and, like
0: ours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's
3: that's the uniforms that I think a lot of Vanderbilt fans wanted to see. Just a back to basic, simplistic, clean look. But there is one major difference. Are you a fan of the block V, or would you have preferred to see the Star V on the side of the helmet?
0: Man, you know what I like? <laughs> they got it up in the they got it up in the uh in the facility, it's the old school Vandy and cursive. Oh yeah, I think that's I think that's really cool. I hope they do a throwback with it or something. They got it up. just in different spots up yeah. around the locker room. And well, stuff. they
1: they had a throwback of it last year, but it looked a whole lot different than than the old helmet. It was mm-hmm. black. You couldn't tell, it, you know, what it said. Nashville felt...
3: skyline on the back. It was a little yeah. a little too yeah, much going like on.
0: I think the white with the the black band mm-hmm. cursor will be sweet. I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think going when they got rid of gold, there was a mistake in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So when they went black and gray, essentially, I, oh, those Celsius are really good, too. That's a free plug for Celsius. Celsius, go ahead and sponsor hey. the podcast. Hey. Man. That's, there we go. That's Shout out to Chris Williams' sponsors. I like <laughs> the QE guava and the watermelon ones. That was good. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, they, I, I felt like going away from gold was a mistake. Because Vandy's black and gold, and has been, so I thought that was a mistake. And and the reality of today's uniform situation is, yeah, those are the two we start with. There's nothing to say that they reveal another one down the line, or they go next year too. But obviously, I like the uniform I played in it for for what five years. So um, I really like the uniform. I think it's a it's a good. It's like a good updated, clean look, and uh, I think it's a good place to start and i'm sure they'll add more variations the block v i think it looks good it caught me off guard but i think yeah. it's a good way to just i think it's they had to do something to make kind of a distinction because i think the uniform looks so similar to what they've done in the past i think you right. had to make some type of bold state somewhere and i think the helmet's were a good place to do
1: it yeah and uh you know who knows uh, we, we've talked about maybe alternates but hey they got they got uh, a lot less uh, combinations now. And I think some fans like that. Um, but, Chris. Well, I
0: think the black and gold, like I really like having a black and a white uniform. Mm-hmm. And I don't – I don't I – don't, I know I wasn't crazy about the gold tops when I was there. So, I don't mm-hmm. – like having a great top is mm-hmm. good or whatever. But I think that having black and gold in every uniform is important. Oh, I yeah. do that's important. In that
3: stadium, they don't chant black gray black, yeah exactly gray. so let's focus on the two colors that are actually the colors of this of the university.
1: And, and according to Clark Lee the two best colors the, the best colors and in, in, uh, in all of sports so uh, it, <laughs> yeah. it's gonna be it's gonna be really fun to see them uh, with, with those uniforms in action but Chris uh, as we run out a little bit of time I want to ask you we have not asked you about beating Tennessee yet. Uh, I want to go back to 2005 <laughs> I know you touched on it. Um, but anytime we got somebody on on uh, on the podcast that has beaten Tennessee we love to kind of uh, go deeper there so you're with you' you're with the team you're in Knoxville going on the road what was what well first off what's that atmosphere like as a player but also what's it like to silence them a, as a team from Vanderbilt and and you know in, in the way you guys did
3: mm.
1: Oh I mean you know anytime you can go make a hundred thousand people go dead quiet it's just a,
0: it's just a good time man it's uh we went there we were going to play spoilers we knew we were out of the bowl hunt at that point but uh they were still in it and so we went there trying to display spoilers like hey this is the last the last one of the year let's let's go knock it off and then at that time i don't even know if they still do this but Luke Wyatt was the head equipment guy and they would play Rocky Top in the locker room all week. Like literally Rocky Top would be blasting in the locker room all week long. So Damn,
1: that, that sounds horrible. Yeah. So it's like,
0: we, we really wanted to make sure they didn't play that song at all um, in Knoxville that day. And we just went out there and executed, man. And, and, uh, lined up with him and, and, you know, Earl caught, you know, he caught the little slant when the game and, Mm. It, it was just really cool. It's it something being part of history like that for Van, it was just really cool. And, and it's so funny because I watched, I actually watched part of the 07 game last night, and we should have beat him in 07 my senior year, too. We, uh, Oh, yeah. Hanfield missed the field goal with like 30 seconds left, but we were up 24, like 10 in the, late in the third quarter, and we got a rough in the punter on Broderick mm-hmm. Stewart, and then they gave him some momentum, and we should have won that year, too. But I, I was, I literally just told george smith this was i think the difference when franklin came was was franklin won he would win the games like that when they when franklin got there vandy started Mm -hmm. winning those tight sec games because we we gave one to georgia i think we were up 10 points on georgia that year at home i mean we had just beat them the year before between the hedges we were up 10 on georgia we beat south carolina in south carolina they were ranked six and we should have beat tennessee we played alabama pretty well that year the only team that really drummed us that year was Auburn and Florida. Florida, Florida, Percy Harbour was like a cheat code that year. He was running all over the field like something I'd never seen before. But but we, I mean, Tennessee, it was like, it was. It felt more mental than physical, really. They were, it wasn't the Tennessee old one, Peyton Manning and all those guys were there. They were, at that time, we looked at, we just watched the tape and it was like, these guys aren't special. We, we can beat them. We just got to go out there and execute.
3: Yes. Yeah. And I, I always like to point out to people that, that tend to forget those teams you were a part of. And, and back in that era with Jay Keller, or Earl Bennett, there would have been a lot more bowl game trips uh, with the additional game that they play now and six and six, making you bowl eligible. So um, a lot of yeah. that team, I believe in 2005 was five and six, and there's not a doubt they would have had an out of conference game. They likely would have won and been to a bowl game. So whenever people talk about that era, I always like to, to point that out. But um I do want to ask about the coach that brought you in and coached through the era that kind of brought Vanderbilt football and broke through a lot of, a lot of walls that we have, we've discussed as far as getting guys to the NFL, beating Tennessee, going to a bowl game in 2008, um, head coach, Bobby Johnson. Um, can you go through a little bit about your experience with him on Vanderbilt's campus and and how he got you there and, and how he mentored you through that four or five, four or five years you were there?
0: Oh man, Bobby's awesome. Um, just another guy, character guy, ton of integrity, and and uh, was steady. You know, Bobby was just super steady guy. He, he came down with Warren Beal recruited me, um, and I still keep up with him too. But Bobby, Bobby just was just a solid guy. You know, it's funny, at that time, Vandy, Vandy was actually on ESPN for not cussing at that time. Oh, like, that's uh, the
1: best video I've ever seen. Yeah, like no, no, it's almost like a parody
0: if you watch it. Now. It's, it's like, amazing. <laughs> Just real, so you know, but that's who he was. It's like it, that was legit for him. You know, I can't say all his sisters were like that, but that's that's who Bobby was. So when you got here, and you realized that it was like really cool, and and uh, you know he gave me he gave me a chance, and he took a chance on me because I I think they gave me two stars because I signed with Vandy. I think I got my stars after I signed, not before. There you go. And uh, Bobby, you know, I, they. He had to make a decision about me uh, after my first year about whether or not they were going to keep me because of my grades and stuff. And and he took a chance on me again. And and uh, I think it paid off for both of us. And, uh, last time I saw him was they said he was on campus a couple of weeks ago. I wish I had known mm-hmm. I would have mm-hmm. come up, but uh, I saw him at George Smith's wedding, uh, you know, some years ago now, but. Oh man, I love Bob. I love that whole staff. Uh, Robbie Caldwell is my position coach. He's at he's been at Clemson for a long time now, mm-hmm. and uh, I love him to death too, man. He's a he's a hell of a football coach.
1: Yeah, not, nothing but uh, but good is is uh, always said about Coach Johnson, and uh, you know, hopefully hopefully he is uh, he's able to come back a lot more like like you. I mean, with you living in Nashville, but Chris, I got one more for you. I wanted to ask you about the team this season. Now, I'm, I'm not sure how, you know, closely you look into the team, and obviously you visited them, so I'm sure you're able to uh, talk with several of them and, and um, you know, kind of give them some of your advice. But as you look at this season, Clark Lee's first year, what are some realistic expectations in your mind for this team, especially uh, playing – I mean, you're in the SEC. It's, it's going to get pretty tough.
0: Yeah, I think a real expectation for them is is to go out there and fight and, and finish football games. Um, you know, you always want to win your nine cons. And then uh, it, it's always like win the games you're supposed to win and then grab another, a couple more that you're not, you know. So they got some tough nine cons. You like got Stanford and Colorado State, you know. So those games won't be easy necessarily. But I think if they go out there and execute, and fight, they got a shot. You know, it's just a matter of changing the mentality coming from a team that was 0-9 last year. So coming in, you got to reshape their minds in a way. It's it's probably less physical and more mental in a lot of ways. Like, hey, we're going to go out here and we're going to have a chance to win every game because we're going to be out there and we're going to fight and we're going to get down to late in the fourth quarter and and take a run at it. So, uh, I mean, I think realistically, they just have to go out there and – and fighting let the chips fall away. Man, I don't think you should – you can focus – I mean, obviously, going winless, you don't want to go winless. Uh, I can't really put a number on how many wins you should expect. But I, I just think – I think as a fan, um, you just want to see see them fight. I just want to see – because last year it wasn't like – you didn't feel like that, you know. So, I think this year you just want to see them go out there and just – no matter who it is, like, they're going to have to come take it from you, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll tell you this, Chris. Clark Lee's teams are gonna be, they're gonna to be tough. They're gonna to be tough as nails. And and if you're coached by Clark Lee, that that's got to be. I mean, that's that's something that that he's teaching and coaching and trying to build into these guys' heads. So, um, it, we're looking forward to it. I know you are too. Uh, we will uh, we'll be tailgating. So if you're uh, if you're in town, uh, hit hit up hit up the the door port tailgate. And uh, I will, we will, we, will uh, we will catch we will catch back up with you soon. But uh, thanks again for coming on, Chris. No problem. Well, that does it for episode 102 of The Door Report. Big thanks to our special guest on today's pod, Chris Williams, former Vanderbilt offensive lineman from 2005 to 2007. He played with Jay Cutler a lot. He played with him on West End, and then he went on to play with him in Chicago. Also was a teammate of Coach Lee, so it was awesome being able to talk with Chris Williams on the future of Vanderbilt football. For myself, Billy Derrick, my co-hosts Will Byram, and Chris Williams, you've been listening to episode 102 of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors.